0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi. And alongside me, as always, is Paul Gillieri. Hi, Paul. Here we are yet again uh, on the podcast channels. Uh, Welcome to everybody who's new. If you're back with us again, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, We love having you here. We love doing this show. And uh, it's interesting times, uh, both from a Pearl Jam music perspective and a life perspective. And we're going to touch on all those things uh, in a minute here. Um, One thing we have to get out of the way is it is the 10th anniversary of Lightning Bolt coming up this Sunday, October 15th. Can you believe that?
1: No, I remember (laughs) when that album came out. And it's interesting when albums come out and they do so at mature parts of your, your lifespan, Mm. the way you look back at them, you know, certain albums I I reflect back on as, as remnants of my youth versus other albums that are, uh, you know, staples of my, my adulthood. So uh, I I was, I was very much in a different place in my life when lightning Bolt came out than than when I was when, uh, you know, an album like versus for example, and uh, still yet again, a different place when, uh, when gigaton came out. So always a fascinating experience to to think about where you were when,
0: right? Yeah. And, And of course, obviously all these albums age a year, every year, that's how time works, but we, we like to do things in even numbers. And so when you hit like a 10 year anniversary of something, it's like, Holy shit! Ten years—that's that's that's ten years. That's a that's a decade. What sure was I is. doing ten years ago? What did I have? What didn't I have? Who didn't I have
1: <laughs> ten years ago? Well, I could tell you ten years ago. Um, I remember reading a lot about the album Lightning Bolt on the Sky Scrape, courtesy of a wonderful song by song review from Mister Stip.
0: If only we had Stip here tonight. <laughs> they don't call you the master seglist for nothing.
2: Oh, hey, hey guys! I just wandered into this uh, this room.
0: I should I should have uh, I should have included one of those like door opening closing sound effects.
2: <laughs> Look, I'm I am, I'm am thrilled to be here for what I assume is the kickoff of at least a month long celebration of <laughs> lightning bolts. This uh, criminally underappreciated near masterpiece, near late period masterpiece by uh, by Pearl Jam. Well, I mean, that's
0: why you're here, because if someone's (laughs) going to pump the tires of this lovely album, it's going to be you.
2: Uh, You So, yeah, I I was telling my my wife I was uh, coming on to I staying up to come on to the show tonight. And I was thinking, like, it is possible. I'm not saying this with I don't think too much hyperbole. I might be the world's biggest fan of this album. You know, if (laughs) if the, the larger reception of it. You know, is anything like the the fan communities and conversations that I've I've had. I'm hoping I can maybe make a a couple of fans tonight. But I, I are adore this record.
0: To, we're going to change some hearts and minds tonight. That's what we're going to do.
2: That's right. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we are going to do a uh, a deep dive on what the last ten years has done for at through that album uh, in just a moment here, and we're also going to talk about um, a little thing that you know happened last Friday where. Stone Gossard and Regan uh, Hagar's record label, Loose Groove Records, had a little little release party, a little celebration at a very tiny club in Beverly Hills that yours truly went to. And, and I, I may or may not have met a founding member of the band, but we will talk about that in a minute. I swear, Paul and Stip are just chomping at the bit, champing, chomping, to ask questions about what the hell happened and what did Stone Gossard tell me? Oh, my
2: God. Did uh, you just
0: bury the lead? I did. I did. I don't know if that's good or not, but I did. I was um, just thinking
2: when you started, like, "Oh, wow, that's really cool." Wouldn't it be neat if somebody on this call was uh, was there to tell us about it? That's that that that's
0: that's what we do in the business. We we tease it. I'm told that's a thing. Uh, but I am going to have to put a pin in that just for a minute, just to just to say one quick thing, and we're gonna kind of quickly downshift in emotional gears here because even though you might be listening to this in a different time, a different year, a different month, and it may not seem sort of relevant. Um, I do want to touch on something very serious for a moment just because it's it's kind of happening. Um, so I really quickly want to say something about uh, what's happening in Israel. And uh, tonight as we record this episode, it is Indigenous Peoples Day here in the United States. And uh, I will say that there's a very long and complicated history of that very concept between Israel and Palestine going on for decades, uh, a se- over a century, really. And um, we are not worthy of such a discussion. And of course, we will not wade into those waters. Um, and also, this is a music podcast. And while we touch on politics on the show from time to time, it, it's usually in regards to points made by Pearl Jam and other, others in their music. So with that said, though, what what happened over the weekend uh, is beyond sad. It's beyond outrageous, and it's beyond necessary, in my opinion. Um, military and political conflicts will happen, and we as adults understand that this is the unfortunate way of humanity. But it is something else to murder innocent people, and I want to unequivocally condemn what Hamas has done to Israelis. And I and I am sad, and I am angry, and I just want you all to know that it's on my mind as we are recording this and over those last few days. Um so I I just wanted to mention that. It's on my mind. And I know Stip and Paul have a couple of things they want to say before we kind of get into the fun part of this episode. Uh Stip, do you want to
2: say anything? You know, this is what I'll I'll tie it back into the podcast. I mean this is what insignificance is about. Um because you know states will do the things that they do and there are Deep, you know, complex histories and motivations behind the, those actions. But whenever this happens, it's innocent people that suffered. It was innocent Israelis over the weekend, as, as Israel has promised uh, disproportionate retaliation, which is usually their, their policy um, to siege Gaza, which was the, the phrase today. It's going to be innocent people there that are, are suffering. That whenever this happens, the, the people who pay the price on any and all sides are the ones that don't have very much to do with the conflict, which is the, the biggest underlying tragedy of it.
1: Yeah. Well said step. Um, You know, it's interesting, Jason, you mentioned indigenous people's day formerly known as Columbus day Mm -hmm. for for many and uh, still labeled as such in, uh, in many places. But what I think is interesting is that that, that discussion in and of itself centers around perspective and narrative and control of narrative and how we remember history, and I think that perspective and controlling narrative and how we remember history is very much at the root of uh, so much of of the conflict in the Middle East. Um, you know, at the risk of 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 insulting the nuance and complexity that uh, you know really really colors that situation, uh, I'll just say that, as Stip so eloquently referenced a pearl jam song to to tie in here and uh, i will uh, attempt to do the same all you need is love right i think uh, a song like love boat captain is very relevant whenever situations like this emerge across the globe mostly because uh, i think it's really easy for us to kind of forget perspective and, and in that adoption of perspective which is ultimately anchored by bias and and personal pain and you know the the the, the need to alleviate that pain Sometimes aggressively by inflicting it on others, we forget that the antithesis of that is love and that ultimately, you know, that is the place that guides us towards forgiveness, towards compromise, towards understanding, towards um, embrace of differences, and uh, ultimately what I think can be a, a far more harmonious and, and peaceful future. So the hope is that, you know, we will find an accord at some point, you know, um, whether or not that that's possible in our lifetimes remains to be seen. But for now, um, let's not forget the, the positive messaging in the music that this podcast centers around uh, just because there aren't that many songs, you know what I mean, uh, that are that positive. And I don't mean positive in the way that the fixer is positive. I mean positive in the way that you know, the music and the lyrics can hone in on a message or a mantra that, uh, that really, really brings home the central idea that can kind of govern better choices. Uh, and we get that with river cross. We mm. get that with, um, you know, seven o'clock. We get that, I think as far back uh, as love boat captain. And and that's really the
0: one that, that stood out to me when I reflect on this very sad and tragic situation. Yes. Uh, to borrow that line from seven o'clock, there is much to be done. And again, mm-hmm. we are not trying to solve anything here. It's a, it's a very, very complex situation in totality. I just wanted to point out that, killing innocent people is is w- insert the word here. You can hear the tone of my voice um, and I'm not happy about it uh, to say the least, but I to for you all to know that we are acknowledging that and we are not sitting well with it, but we're going to try and um, brighten your day as best we can. Uh, and so we're going to try and move things along into happier things um, to hopefully kind of uh, carry you through this moment a little bit. Um, I mentioned uh, some happy times last Friday and, uh, loose groove records. Like I said, they hosted, I don't know. must've been like a hundred people, Paul step. It, it was tiny. And, um, basically all the loose groove record, um, artists were on the bill, uh, Friday in Beverly Hills and I got to go and it was pretty damn cool.
2: So who are some of the people that you met?
0: Well, I've, I first have to say that um, uh listener, fan, friend of the show, uh, Anita, who runs uh, a number of, of uh, accounts uh, online, including uh, Temple of the Dog, Chris Cornell, um, and she is in the know, and she invited me to go to this. And uh, we didn't actually walk in until right at the end of uh, Johnny, Polanski's, Johnny Polanski's set. Uh, he had just finished uh, covering "I Am the Highway." Speaking of Chris Cornell, with uh, with Stone on guitar, so I actually didn't miss that. But when I walked in, they were changing over to uh, James and the Cold Gun, and those guys ripped, absolutely ripped. Um, Stone came out with them as well. He played guitar on a Stooges song. I still song called no fun. Uh, there is a snippet on our social media and there is a full version, uh, on our YouTube channel. So you guys can check that out if you haven't already. So that was really cool. Um, and then, uh, Brittany Davis performed with her backing band. Holy hell. There's some clips of that on social media as well that we shot. Uh, and the funk, the soul, the groove, a lot of fun. It was a different kind of like movement, you know, like James, and the cold gun. I was like, you know, hurting my neck, headbanging, you know, and then Brittany Davis, I was kind of like doing a bit of that stone Gossard chicken dance, like grooving kind of thing, you know, <laughs> So that was great. And then, uh, the close things out was tiger cub who I've been to a lot of shows, you guys, and I'm sure you guys have been to a ton of shows in your day as well. I have never been to a show that was louder than that. Like the bass kicked in and I was like, holy shit. My ears were like, Bruh. like it was, it was, it hurt. I didn't bring earplugs. I'm an idiot, but nope. it was, it was intense. It was intense. Well,
1: um, that brings me to my first question, Jason. Please. Were you repping a state of love and trust podcast t-shirt? at?
0: This oh, you know man? that I was Paul, you know that I was, I had to. Yeah, no, that was that was definitely something that uh, my wife would get mad at me if I didn't do that either. She's like, "You didn't wear your sure, shirt, did you?" And I go, "No, I did. I changed." She goes, oh, "Okay, good."
1: Oh, um, and it's a total sidebar. When we went to a show, it was Jason's wife who chastised him for not having enough uh, business cards. Oh, I forgot to, to bring. Yeah, podcast.
0: I had forgotten that. This time, I actually brought some stuff, but in the moment, I felt it felt a little off-putting, a little
1: uncouth. You're, you're very lucky she doesn't charge you. For these these know, uh, reprimands and and all her, sage how advice. funny is
0: it? Like the, the one time that I remember to actually bring some pants and stickers and cards is the time that it's like it's not the time to hand those things out because it was yeah. like it's going uh, to sound silly. You don't want to pedal, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, you got to like you got to do work on your sleight of hands. So, like as you're talking to somebody, you can just like sneak it into a you know a pocket, you know, attach it somewhere.
0: You know, I should that, that's that, I will say that that's true. I should have given the because um, I did talk to. The James and the James and the Cold Gun guys, uh, who are fucking top lads, they're, they're very cu- cool guys, very down to earth, very kind. Uh, I should have handed them, um, a couple of uh, stickers and pins. I didn't, you know, it was like I said, it was maybe a hundred people, it was small, it was a lot of industry folks, um, a lot of social media influencers, um, people with like hundreds of thousands of followers that I, I kind of recognize. And I, I said, I met one guy who was very cool, um. So that was kind of cool to kind of get in the circle and be like, "Oh yeah, this I'm part of that podcast that that yeah that follows you." And like, "Oh cool." So that was that was rad. I I will say to the point of James and the Cold Gun, they are down to come on the show. Uh and uh assuming that it all is good with the label, which I believe that it will be, um the uh the ask is out as they say. Um they are they they've verbally committed to me to come on this show and talk about uh what they're doing by the way they're recording their new album they were they released their first album like three months ago they're recording their second album this week at stone gossard's studio litho so we'll talk to them about that and everything else uh, as soon as that gets signed off hopefully in, in a couple of weeks time when they get back to uh to wales but that was really cool um what else my eardrums really hurt oh uh, Paul. I told you this in, in the moment, but um, I said hi to your friend uh, Kevin Martin from Candlebox.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it's it's bittersweet meeting for 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 me to hear about on on two fronts. A that you know he's retiring, obviously. Candlebox yeah, is hanging him up <clears throat> yeah, after the album that they just released in August. So this is the the, the final tour. Uh, but also uh, that you know I have met him before. Uh, oh, you is, have. I have. Yeah. Oh, I
0: cool. Have. Well, then what what am I what, what? Nothing uh, but
1: it, it would have been it would have been cool just to uh just to see him one more time where did you mean? just uh, him? uh they had a um it's like an album release party and then they did a show in la back in i don't know 08 or 09 2010 so, somewhere in that window and, was that a cruisin uh, album uh i think it was no cruisin i think i think his last one was the uh the one that came out in 98 but i have to double check oh. and then he circled back around again i think after but uh Anyway, so I, I I met the whole band. They were signing uh records, and so mm. I got a chance to chat with the guys for a bit. But uh yeah, just a, a ton of admiration and and respect for what I think is a a very underrated and 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 oft criticized you know grunge knockoff band that, that that I think had a a lot of really cool uh, blues influences and and uh, a great front
0: man with a, a fantastic voice. So so Kevin Martin was super cool. He, I, he was, uh, I, I was ordering a beer and he was to my left and one of the l- loose groove, um, uh, singer songwriters, this guy, uh, Kozier was to my right. And he meant, he kind of talked kind of like past me and, and complimented Kozier on his, on his vocal performance and on his singing abilities. Like, man, your voice is great. And I was like, oh, thank you. And he, and he kind of walked away and I turned to Kevin. And I said, you know, yours, yours isn't so bad either. And he laughed and I go. Uh, you know, a buddy of mine and I do this Pearl jam podcast, and he is a really big Candlebox fan. He he loves your voice too. And he goes, "Oh, well, that's awesome!" Th- tell him thank you. So I had to text uh, Paul in that moment that Kevin Martin appreciated that he liked his voice.
1: So yeah, I, I, I you know we talk so much about Lane and, and Chris, and and I feel like uh, even Scott Weiland and for whatever reason Kevin Martin just kind of really gets uh, underrepresented, and and not enough folks talk about his his range and. Uh, the gravitas of, of, of his, um, his vocal prowess. So uh, tip of the cap to a, a hell of a career. Yeah.
0: Um, so I guess that was, that was it, right? Just that, so, that was all.
2: Anybody else you met?
0: Oh, yeah, uh, stone Gossard.
2: Oh, <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> what, what was, what was uh, stone like?
0: Um, so I was talking to the James and Nicole gun guys and, uh, I was, just asking what it was like to to be on Stone's label, and they're like, "Man, he's just the coolest guy." And you know, you should, you should, you should go talk to him and tell him that you're big fans of ours. And I go, I will absolutely tell him that. And as I did that, I was looking over at him, and whoever he was talking to, I guess wrapped up his their conversation and walked away. And Stone was for like a brief moment by himself, holding his drink. And I looked over, and we locked eyes, and I just went, "Okay, this is the moment." So I I walked to him and I said, Stone. And I reached over and shook his hand. And, you know, in old school, when Will Ferrell is on the debate team and he has like this unbelievable argument and then the buzzer goes and everyone's like, oh, that was amazing. And he goes, what happened? I blacked out. That's yeah. what it felt like.
3: <laughs>
0: like I had this five minute conversation with with, with Stone. And I, it all, I remember like I remember the parts of it, but like the it, like the tiny little details or everything that I said, just, I couldn't tell you because I was just in this moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, what I will say is, first of all, he was incredibly kind, incredibly gracious, humble, um, generous with his time, um, and you know, I, obviously, I mentioned that I have this show that with with my buddy Paul and yada yada yada, and I said um, that I was in Austin. And immediately, without even saying anything else, he goes, Oh man, Austin, night two, that was just something really special. That was just, that was so good. And I go, I was at both shows and night one was really good, but you're right. Night two was on a different level. It was, it was wild. He goes, Yeah. You should have argued with him. No, I
1: just have to respectfully (laughs) disagree, Stone. I really don't have (laughs) to. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I mentioned that you know, and I I brought Anita into the conversation because she was kind of fangirling off to the side. Um, I was like, you know, we we both been to a number of shows, and so many of them have been special. And you think about you know the garden two thousand three and whatever. Um, but yeah, and, you know, Austin was really good, and so he was he was very kind of calm in the moment because he was you know it wasn't his night. No, you know, it was his label's <laughs> night, but he wasn't on the bill, right? So he was real mm-hmm. calm and relaxed and kicking it, and you know, he was very just kind of chill but when I brought up Austin he perked up and was very into saying how much he really enjoyed that show. Um I I asked him if uh the rumors of a late November early December new single were true. He said basically this about this next record. He goes, it's done. It's great. It's really good. I have no idea when it's coming out. And as regards to the single uh, coming out in the next handful of weeks, I hope so. I hope it comes out before the end of the year. So that's my new album news as far as uh, what Stone can confirm. Um, so not much more than we already knew from, from Ed and Jeff had said on the in recent weeks, but it was cool to know that he again, he perked up. He was very excited to tell me nobody that he thinks the new record is really, really good.
1: So he, he channeled his inner stip in front of a live audience
2: is what you're saying. Correct. <laughs> okay. Good, good callback. I like that <laughs> to, to a conversation. Nobody else heard. Correct. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: So yeah, th- that was, that was really cool of him to take some time and, and chat with me. And, um, just excited to i'm I'm excited because he's excited
1: yeah i was gonna that that was that was my next question Mm -hmm. to both of you which is what does it mean to the two of you in terms of projecting um the next album when you take into account the enthusiasm that stone has for it or or does that not mean anything
2: to you no i mean that's that's an interesting question um because I've never really heard a response from any of them in an off the cuff, you know, non formal, this is being released and I'm giving a soundbite kind of environment. I would probably look to the body language, which it sounds like Jason did. Like, I wouldn't expect him to say, it's like, you know, just between you and me, I think this one is terrible. (laughs) Uh, You know, he's he's not going to say that. And I, I wouldn't expect it to be anyway, but if you feel him perk up and like, be really excited to talk about, like, you know, this is something that we just did that, you know, we're, that we're proud of. Um, you know, that I'm excited for people to hear. Uh I mean, doesn't make me feel bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, he he I was kind of keep watch and keeping an eye on selling a creeper, but like I noticed him throughout the night kind of popping around the bar um talking to folks because who doesn't want to have a have a quick chat with Stone Friggin' Gossard? Everyone there wanted to have a chat with him. Um and so, you know, he's kind of in his, okay, this dude wants to talk to me. Cool. Come on over. But when that's brought up, it wasn't like, oh yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to come out pretty soon. It was like, oh no. It, yeah. The record's done and it's, it's really good. Like that was kind of his, his vibe. It kind of, it was, you know, it was more um, positive and upbeat than kind of the rest of the conversation, which is just the normal chill, you know even keeled yeah. stone gossard
2: and we have go ahead stick no, okay we haven't heard anything from stone about the record yet so i do think this constitutes a, a low-level scoop i think you should advertise it as such
0: <clears throat> well i think actually in the moment uh, as this is uh, released um L- our friend luca over at pearl Jam, uh, is probably posting the article of my quotes right now so someone <laughs> else somewhere is reading what you're listening to which I guess is cool.
1: I'm excited. I'm excited about it. You know what? Stone's enthusiasm to me is a confirmation that this, this record will not be derivative in any way, shape or form. And uh, it would seem to be uh, a logical extension of the evolution that we've been, we've been watching with the band. Um, So I think uh, when you take into consideration what, what they're doing on their individual respective solo levels with painted shield and, you know, all the other, uh, all the other output that we've seen from the guys, I think uh, we're going to see something that, um, you know, I, I think is, is going to exemplify shades of what made Pearl Jam. Uh, I, how do I say this? It's like uh, when you start looking at the last time that they really started experimenting was like that Vitology, no code error, right. Where they kind of broke out of that initial mold. Um, and then we kind of saw it again later on with the riot act and, and binaural and then I, I feel like, and, and Stip is probably going to counter this when we, because lightning bolt to me felt like this, this part of this extension as well. We'll, we'll talk about Avocado. It. We'll, we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll, 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 get there. So to me, this is not going to sound like, you know, whatever was left on the cutting room floor of Gigaton. This is going to sound like a very different. Well, record. and
0: we know yeah. that because Andrew said no new ideas. You Don't yeah. bring anything. Yeah. So, uh, one little addendum, which I think is kind of cool. Um, I did, I didn't meet at the, in the, in the flesh in the moment, but I did talk to online after the fact, um, a gentleman by the name of uh, Jeremy Toback, who you guys may or may not know, uh, Jeremy played bass on the first two Brad records and, uh, he is now a friend of the show and he will be joining us in the coming weeks to talk about those first two records and his new music. So a lot of really cool shit's happening around the show i'm very excited for it and i hope you all are too um let's then move on by looking backwards at stip's most favorite possible record that isn't named 10 lightning bolt it turns 10 in just a matter of days so here's a couple of nuts and bolts before we kind of dive into my questions because i want to ask you guys i've been doing i've done enough talking for today let's let's get into the heat of the meat here so Brendan O'Brien produces Bad Boy. It was written and recorded kind of off and on over the course of two years in, uh, here in Los Angeles. The band recorded around seven tracks, uh, around March of 2012, then took almost a year off. Each band member kind of went back home, wrote some new stuff by themselves, and then came back reuniting at Henson Studios in Hollywood. And after six weeks of more recording, um, the band then mixed the album at Studio X in Seattle, Album comes out October 15th, 2013, and here we are. So, uh, we think we've got three singles, Mind Your Manners, Sirens, and Lightning Bolt in that order. So, here's, here's my preamble to my first question. As we look back on Lightning Bolt, we have another album since then to help place where we think the band and its members were at that time. Where their heads and their hearts were at, and why they chose to write the music and lyrics that they did. There are certainly eras to Pearl Jam. And now I think Gigaton may have started a new one, if only because of its seven-year wait since Lightning Bolt, but maybe we'll place the themes of that album closer to Lightning Bolt in the end. So every era, every album says something. Not only does it uh say something about society but about the band members themselves as well so i'll start with a very open question that uh ryan Leese wrote in his review of lightning bolt for stereo gum 10 years ago and that question is what kind of pearl jam album is
2: lightning bolt it's their most adult album i think and i think it's their most personal album since no code Uh, Neither of those two things necessarily make it their best, but I think this is the first album they wrote as parents. And I think that is all over this record. And I think a difference between Lightning Bolt and Gigaton is that this is an album that is written when you have young children. And I think Gigaton reflects uh, older people who are about to go off into the world rather than younger people that you need to keep cocooned and safe. But I, I think this is uh, this is a parent's record. And it came out, you know, like the alchemy around your Paul, you alluded to this earlier, around like what's going on in your life when something happens and how that impacts your experience of it. Like, you know, I my kids were um you know one uh two and six, two and a half, three and six months when uh lightning bolt came out and you know like that experience of that record is entirely also for me like bound up in that transition in my own life but i think it mirrors where the band was and the stuff that they're writing about i i think you make i i think that's
1: a perfect characterization of what lightning bolt is and uh and what it embodies when it's considered within the context of where the band members were at, at this particular juncture of their lives. Um, I think I I would double down on that in the sense that uh, for me, in a lot of ways, this record is the, the other side of vitology. I say that because when you go back to vitology, also another Brendan O'Brien produced record, uh, that was a time in their life where they were probably their most strained where they were, coming apart at the seams imploding was the word that brendan o'brien used and uh that record i feel like you know it was reflective of a band who was having a lot of trouble collaborating um a lot of the songs were you know came came out of jam sessions um they were rushed you know most of them were were written less than an hour before they were even recorded um mike was going into rehab at that point in time during the production um they had the issue obviously with Dave and, uh, you know, we talked to Jimmy Shove who, who, who talked a little bit about it. You know, not, not, not too yeah. much, but, you know, <clears throat> Jimmy gave us some, a, a little bit of context there. Uh, Jack came in at the end and I mean, it was just this like punk rock album that had you know, it de- departed. It was a departure from the band's previous work, as we know. And it was it was eclectic in a lot of ways, but there was believe it or not, I still think there's a lot of mature songwriting on that record at the time. I mean, this was a a group of of band members that were kind of reaching a different stage in their lives in terms of you know being in their 20s versus being in their 30s, and I think that uh, these signposts, you know, these checkpoints, if you will, in a person's life are oftentimes uh, those things color a record. And in a lot of ways, the other side of that is a band that's, that's not coming apart at the seams. Mm-hmm. You know, a band that is not having trouble collaborating, uh, quite the contrary. And, and I feel like Lightning Bolt, to Stip's point, was a band that had reached a new place in their lives where they were suddenly in love with something that was far bigger than them or their band. And uh, I'm, I'm talking about kids, I'm talking about family, I'm talking about a, a very different... Uh, line of legacy for them whereas before i think they they kind of viewed themselves and and their place in this world based on what they had achieved as musicians and i think at this point in time you know in in the the quiet hours of the evening sitting with with uh, your child in your arms um you know rocking a baby to sleep or uh you know just just sitting with your, your your loved one you really start to thinking you start thinking about your future uh Less at, through the lens of of who you were before being a parent, and far more um, through the 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 lens of of that new identification. Mm. So, i <clears throat> I find this record to be, in a lot of ways, a parallel, kind of like a a, a parallel record. Like if, if time is a flat circle, and I'm doing the Matthew McConaughey. Time is thing, a right? flat circle, Paul. Time is we a know flat this. circle. Thank you. So the the other side of that is yeah. is lightning bolt. You know, and it's it, it's interesting to think of the band at that point in time. And then to flash forward to them in this time and and making this record and who they were at that point in time. And so much of the songwriting in a lot of ways, like is is mind your manners that different from spin the black circle? You know what I mean? Musically, I
0: I, I see that obviously it's musically, right, but
1: sure. But when you start thinking about um, some of the themes, right? Nothing, man, for example, if if you have love, don't screw it up. Well, this is a, a, a band at at a time in their lives where they didn't screw it up. You
2: know what I mean? (laughs) You know, if you, if I recall, I think the end is your favorite or one of your favorite songs on, on backspacer. And even though, you know, Jason, you, you referenced eras earlier. I feel like lightning bolt is the start of something that, that gigaton is building off of. But if you want to also find transition points, I think lightning bolt takes that moment in the end and spins an entire album out of it, like a whole wide array of emotions, different spaces, you know, um, different problems that it's attacking, different questions that it's asking, but it's all coming, I think, out of that holy shit. Now I have something to lose. Moment that, to your point, is not there on vitology. Even the vitology is, you know, so desperate for it and asks the question: If I have nothing, what am I holding on for? So M- Michael said that he
0: thought Lightning Bolt. Was a logical extension of backspacer, so I'm, I'm saying I'm thinking you guys agree.
2: Yeah, um, I, I, musically, I I do, and yeah, you can you can transition there, but I, I do think back, at least for me, backspacer, it, it's a great pivot mm. uh, into I guess what you can call like you know this iteration of of Pearl Jam, but at least for me, back so much of backspacer is putting the Bush administration to bed that it sort of points the way to, um to where they're going, but it, like it's, it's setting stuff down and maybe starting to show you where it's going. Whereas lightning bolt fully embraces that and gigaton is, you know, the logical extension of it. Um, yeah. I think looking back at lightning bolt
0: through a gigaton prism, you can see where some of the latter album came from. And you guys kind of alluded to there being eras, right? Mm-hmm. The, sonic experimentation that originated as far back as vitology and no code and was taken to maybe the next digital level with uh ur from ryodeck i think really found a lot more real estate on this record you've got pendulums kind of futuristic keyboard um you've got infallible synthesized percussive grooves you've got the soaring atmospheric stints that are like kind of deep in the mix of yellow moon or, like those that shimmery re- reverb thing that's holding up future days. So, do you look back on the sonic choices um, on this record as right for the moment, a necessary next step, perhaps too restrained? How do you view the sonic choices that they made on this record that were clearly different than what we heard on the previous two records, which were much more just straight ahead rock and roll?
2: Uh, I'll get my thought out of the way because I think Paul's probably gonna be more interesting here, and I don't have the musical yeah. vocabulary for it. i I think the sh- the songwriting on Lightning Bolt is very strong. And insofar as like that might incorporate some of the things you just mentioned, sure. But I think, despite all of my my love and praise for this album, they chose in almost every single instance, probably the least flattering presentation of mm. of a very strong song. Um, I do think that the overall, album feels a little sterile um that that a lot of the heart that is in those compositions is somehow washed out and i don't think that's because oh there's keyboards in this that i think that's part of the songwriting but i don't think that it's showcased in the way that you know you mentioned no code earlier which i think is you know blasphemous maybe in my mind a weaker set of songs but gorgeously presented in a way that this is not
1: that's an interesting Interesting uh, position on this one. I, I, I mean, I, there's a compelling argument for that for sure. Uh, you know, when you when you look at a song like Yellow Moon, uh, you know, you hear the, the Neil Young references and um, in influence, and it makes me think of the, the whole Merkin Ball sessions and and the, at, at, by proxy, you know, or, or I should say, a, a, as an extension of vitology. And uh, the arrangements on this record feel v- very um, dressed down or, or simplified. I think. And uh <clears throat> there's definitely less production, I think, than what we saw with the prior record backspace. There's a lot more realistically s- shorter each instrument, it sounds like yeah, right. There is. And and yeah. for that reason it's it's a lot longer. Um it's a, you know, a song like Sleeping by Myself, which previously showed up on uh, Eddie's uh, solo Yuca album. Uh that now that's a track that Brendan O'Brien said to me, this is a Pearl Jam song. You know, th- let's put this on there. Um Pendulum, ironically, was 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 part of the backspacer sessions. Yeah. And I and I don't think it fit that album at all, quite frankly. No, no. So I can see why, they, why <laughs> they left it off. Uh but I think it fits beautifully here. Uh but when I when I think about the kinds of ideas, you know, um relationships that endure, um, you know, the 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 pitfalls of of mis misguided faith. Um that the state of the union or the state of the world as, as they knew it at the time, right? Songs like, uh, infallible and, and, um, uh, getaway and, um, uh, future days and mind or manners. And, and even just kind of like the ebbs and flows of life, like a song like pendulum, uh, a lot of these kinds of ideas, I think were being explored in vitology, just in, they, they were done in a in different sort of way because the the band was at a different stage in their lives. You know what I mean? They were, Mm -hmm. uh, they were looking at it through the filter of relationships that are, that are, that were not 20 or 30 or 40 years old, um, or even newer relationships that perhaps didn't mean as much or, or weren't as, um, uh, you know, impactful as the ones that they were in now, you know, which were lifelong commitments. Um, so I think that, uh, it's interesting that Eddie really embraced this idea of mortality in on this record yeah, in his songwriting and i think vitology you know it's it's hard to not like segue into what vitology was about when when you when you start thinking about mortality as well so for me i just see a lot of parallels and and that's why i say in a lot of ways it's it's both musically um and i think thematically in a lot of ways the other side of uh of vitology but i think Stipp's point is a very salient one that it is in many ways, uh, it is their most adult record. And I think it, it is in a lot of ways, kind of like that extension of, of where, you know, the end left us. Um, so, so,
0: the, so when I, I, I take your points on songwriting uh, and the reason why I asked the the question Sonically of, is what you asked about. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm I, I like where you went on the songwriting point of view, because I, I totally see that. Um, you know, when we talk, when we think about, now, when I think about this record... And it's experimental, how, though, isn't it? It, it is, in, in, in a sense, because there were things on there that kind of threw me for a loop. And yeah, we had UR. Um, and yeah, there were some other weird stuff, like I said, on previous records. But for the first time, it felt like a lightning bolt. There was something very different, very modern, very contemporary. When I heard Infallible... Um, the way that was produced, and the way that they had that that synthy percussive thing is like a main point. I mean, I guess there was a touch of that on the fixture that, that had a very um very distorted kind of organy thing happening, but it kind of threw me for a loop, and so I guess maybe I shouldn't have been so taken aback when dance of the clairvoyance <laughs> and other very um uh digitally embraced sonic environments were added to songs on Gigaton. Because that's the next evolution. I should have seen that coming. So looking backwards now, seeing what Gigaton is and having that grown on me over the last three years, looking back on an album that's now ten years old with some of those elements, I feel like that the, they sit in a better place for me personally. Whereas the, at the time, I was just like they stuck out like a sore thumb, mm-hmm. you know, because I wasn't used to that. I was used to hearing a lot of
2: a lot of analog, a lot of organic sounds from them. Step. So You know, it's hard to be the most recent album. I mean, you you can pull it off. Gigaton's very well received. But the most recent album in any band's catalog has to carry the weight of what you want to get out of that band, what they are to you, whether or not they're delivering. And once there's something else after it, for better or worse, especially if it's for better, you can contextualize the stuff that that came before. And I think you're right. Lightning Bolt is a... More experimental. I'm not going to go so far as to say full-fledged, you know, experimental record, but there's more going on here in the the songwriting, in, in the choices, you know, that even if some of these feel superficially like, you know, this is a, a standard Pearl Jam, you know, composition, like even like Lightning Bolt, you know, maybe like the most arguably the most familiar sounding song on the album has, like, those those church bell kinds of sounds at the end. Like, I'm not sure what instrument is is making them, but, like, you know, that's not a sound that's on any prior record. No. Even if, like, you know, the, the palm muted playing that, that Eddie is doing, you know, feels fairly standard at this point. And, like, all of those, all of the songs, you know, have those kinds of of moments. Even something like, you know, Sirens, which is, you know, an exercise in in genre writing, in, like, you know, mm-hmm. power balladry is the first time they've really done that. And so even that which, you know, is not breaking new grounds, you know, musically, you know, in the, the history of music, is still them going into a, a different space and not being ironic about it, not being cynical about it, you know, just fully, mm. you know, embracing it as like, you know, this it, you can dip your toe in it and it has something to offer. Like do you want a whole album full of this? Probably not. <laughs> But as a, a moment and, you know, sandwiched in between My father's Son and Lightning Bolt, like two very different songs, you know, it sticks out as well. There's not really any song on Lightning Bolt that's like the song that's immediately before or after it. That is a great point that I don't know that I really ever thought
0: about uh, in point. much detail, but every song is very different from the next.
1: Does that make it a disjointed record to you, Stu? Ooh,
2: um, I think it's uh, that is a good question. Um, it's maybe this is one of the maybe it's the production which I was just you know complaining about that makes it at least flow pretty seamlessly. But I think Lightning Bolt is start to finish for me one of the easier records to listen to. And maybe that's because the production doesn't give each song the identity it probably deserves. And so you're able to segue you know from lightning bolt into infallible and even though these are very different songs you know doing very different things it still you know feels i see what you're saying organic. it's a
0: very it's a very cohesive album sonically like it is. there's n- none of the guitars are ever super super even though I'm on your manners nothing is super distorted and heavy even the lighter stuff is sort of as jangly as anything else would be so it's all kind of in the same
2: ballpark i, I see what you're saying um, I mean, probably not. To, probably to its detriment. For you know, as as much as I I praise this album, yeah. like this is one that I would love to see somebody else just you know reach under the hood and really like give each of these tracks the chance to breathe. Mm. And maybe you know treat them each individually as a song and not worry about that cohesion.
0: Maybe we'll get Adam Casper to to remix it, just like Brendan did for mm-hmm. Avakani. <laughs> well,
2: wasn't wasn't the, the the thought with the this one? And I haven't. I'm trying to think back now, ten years, but wasn't this the album where they recorded it and then just sort of handed it over to Brendan to, to mix that they, they were less involved in the mixing of this. I mean, it was like I
0: said, it was at stone studio or is that, um, what did I say? Studio X. It was at Studio X. So it was in familiar territory. I, I I didn't, I didn't double check to see if they were super involved or not. And someone's probably going to yell through the headphones at us that they know. Um, but Let's don't go ahead. Just. Well, I was just going to say, you know, you mentioned uh, sirens, you mentioned balladry, you mentioned genres that weren't that aren't new to anybody. Um, and so, when I think back, when I th- when I when I think looking back at Lightning Bolt, um, you know, I was looking at all these different reviews as, uh, that certain authors wrote back in the day, and this guy Stuart Berman um, reviewed the album for Pitchfork, and he. <laughs> Had an interesting metaphor. He likened the album to the band wearing sweatpants. Mm. Uh, he said that they were no longer trying to impress anyone, so why not just be comfortable? Now, I'd argue they haven't tried impressing anyone since Vitalogy, and they purposely tried to turn off people with no code So I don't know about that so much, Stuart, but uh I guess in fact, as we spoke about um before a little bit, the, the sonic risks. Um, It seems as if Berman was kind of conflating being more secure in their personal and professional lives with not caring. I don't know if you guys buy into that. Um, How do you guys feel about the approach on this album with what Berman is positing? Well, Stone
1: was on record as saying that this album was some sort of unconscious effort to not create backspace or two. So I mean, I would beg to differ with that assessment. Um, I mean, you know death is mentioned in like I like think ten out of the twelve songs directly um, maybe maybe that's an exact, maybe it's closer to like seven or eight songs but uh I mean there's there's definitely some deep themes there it's it's a much darker record I mean the, the songs are longer um it's more aggressive than what we had heard previously and uh there there's a lot of existential themes and and I, I, for me I I don't find this record to be indicative of a band putting on sweatpants and just getting comfortable to me. It it would have to be a a record that was very derivative and just, you know, kind of like basically just a bunch of knockoff songs that are essentially just recreations of of earlier music. And and that's not what they were trying to do here. I think they were very much. He could have made
0: that point about avocado, although I would disagree, but he would have been more on point in my opinion, if he chose to make that comparison then. Yeah, perhaps so. I
1: mean, I could see that, you know, I mean, we, we, we do get, I think, a very different output here. Um, so I don't know. I I'm inclined to say with this particular record that, uh, it's, it's the band's attempt at moving in a different direction without perhaps necessarily knowing where they were going. And, and maybe that's why it's, it may sound disjointed to some, maybe that's why there's not, a lot of composition, you know, continuity with the compositions, you know, uh, to Stip's point, you know, every, it's not like each song flows into the next, right? I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they all very much almost sound like uh
2: siloed in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, like lightning bolt has to have that, that criminal fade out to, yeah, I guess, to find a way to make it flow into Infallible. Um You know, sweatpants are, it's not a, I think that goes too far. Like, Lightning Bolt is not a precious album. It's not an album that is trying to impress somebody. And, you know, it is not an album, despite the fact that I think it has some very weighty and important things to say, it doesn't have a lot of statement-making moments. You know, really, Mind Your Manners is maybe one, but it's like, you know, such like a, you know, a a, a fast, punk, aggressive little song that some of it's lost. I mean, even a song like Infallible, which I think they they... Kind of tried again and maybe perfect a little bit with seven o'clock on on gigaton very similar you know songs seven o'clock is trying to make a capital s statement and you know infallible for all of you know it's soaring you know chorus and you know weighty themes and it's maybe my favorite overall lyric on the the whole mm. album which is you know really well written song you know, still feels kind of curiously like, you know, I'm, I'm saying this, I'm throwing it out here, take it or leave it as you see fit. And maybe that's the the sweatpants uh, element of it. Maybe that's the comfort that they were talking about, about being together or not being concerned about um, impressing somebody.
0: Let me ask you this then. Uh, Will Hermes uh, did the uh, review for Rolling Stone. And he said that uh, Pearl Jam overthought, over-emoted, and overreached fruitfully (laughs) think about that that you can overreach over emote and when i say overthink but fruitfully like is that a backhanded compliment or what's Uh, happening on this
2: album he's talking on this album
0: yes give me your thoughts on that
1: Uh, i mean if 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 you're saying that they were given the opportunity to make some big arena rock, and they accepted that challenge. And you know, and they overreached in that capacity. I mean, I, I I find that to
2: be a, a bit of a mischaracterization of the record I mean, as a whole. But I so mean, it, me, here here's a here's well, I'm sorry, Jason. What were you going to say? Well, I
0: mean, I was just going to say real quick that listen, when these guys write reviews, they need to write stuff that can be. This was in the Twitter generation. So they need to write stuff that can be kind of plucked, right? Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting statement. Overthought, over-emoted, and overreached. Fruitfully. To me, it sounds like a backhanded compliment. Um, and so to the point of uh what's his face? Uh Stuart Berman talking about them being comfortable. Well, listen, there are only so many topics in life that are going to really uh strike a chord with people. And the brilliance of a band is being able to attack those themes from different perspectives as you gain wisdom. And because the band chose to write music to match where they were at and the approach they wanted to make lyrically on those themes, I feel like is that, I feel like that's what they're trying to say, but it's like, then just say that. Don't don't say don't make up some fucking cute soundbite or I guess written written right bite written bite I, I, <laughs> So I so this the, go ahead. Steve. The, uh,
2: I the two songs that come to mind with a comment like that, and I might just be reading my own experiences within the, the the fan community, and you know, watching the um the less than rapturous reception that this album received, at least in the the circles that I haunt. You know this. Uh, songs like Sirens or Future Days, two songs that you know, I love, are schmaltzy songs, you know, in their way. They're they're big, they're emotive, they might be, like, overreaching in that they, you know, have the, the melodrama without, um, you know, the edge that a song like, you know, Black had to help smooth it out. But the thing is, and this is maybe how you... Hear these things different as a a lifelong fan, you know. Pearl Jam was was never ironic. They were never unattached. They were never cynical. You know, even in their their darkest moments, you know, it was the, it was the absence of those things that that made the pain, you know, real. And so this kind of hard on sleeve schmaltz that you get in a song like like Future Days, you know, is at least works for me because it's it's. Organic and it's sincere and it's like evolutionary. Like the, they chose
0: to do this. If you're they, if you're dropping did. into the, if you're dropping back into to check out what Pearl Jam's doing and you hadn't paid attention for the last twenty years, you'd be like, "What the fuck is this?" But,
2: but if, if the, you've if, been paying attention, right? And it, the guy who who wrote "Release," you know, the guy who who wrote "Black" and sang on that. Like, if this person finds love and and stability, you know, and meaning, and like, you know, looking back. You know, in their life, like feels these things are are precious to them. Like that's what the search had been about the whole time. And so, you know, when you get here, this is not, um, you know, it's not overreach. And they like, "Oh, I'm trying to do something new or different, and I don't know exactly how far to to swing because this is a uh, this is new for me." This is exactly what you would get. And so, it never felt like overreach for me because it felt so. Organic and I, I use the word evolutionary obvious like you know like of course this is exactly the kind of song you know Eddie would write about you know waking up one night after a nightmare about you know his his family like you know this is entirely on brand and it doesn't feel different it feels like the next iteration like the logical evolution
0: so then paul doesn't when when the band chooses to address A similar topic, but in a different, more mature way. In my opinion, it helps those older songs. You mentioned release step, it helps those older songs find a new facet of appreciation. That we look back on alive, and because we have all grown since then and found some solace, and Ed's found some solace and resolution with certain things, doesn't it help those songs find another level? Otherwise, they'd feel kind of stale and more. Rooted in their past, right?
1: Well, I mean, if you choose to look at those songs through the lens of, well, we're all getting older. We are, yeah, exactly. But I mean, are we choosing to look at those songs through the lens of us getting older? The band, both, right? So I think the the and and I guess I'll, I'll end with this as far as Lightning Bolt is concerned. The word that comes to mind, if if I had to describe Lightning Bolt in a single word, it would be the word earnest. I feel like it is just an earnest. Um, it's earnest execution it's earnest songwriting it's um earnest playing everything about the record just strikes me as authentic and earnest and they are uh they're at a place in their lives where they are uh, (laughs) too old to not be you know what i mean (laughs) that they're at a place where, where it's just and there's no need not to be you know what i mean the time for pretense has long since passed so I would say that if you want to view lightning bolt you 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 cannot look at this record and say that it's overreach because overreach I think uh belies the fact that there there really is an earnestness to this record that comes with age and perspective and change and it's only because of the choices that each band member has made and the evolutionist did put it in their lives that they're even capable of, of creating a record like this. So to me, I don't think that they were trying overreach suggests, you know, trying to do something. And I, I think if you do something in earnest, you're not necessarily trying to do anything other than what feels right and organic as Stip mentioned. So uh, I, I would argue that uh, it's just an earnest attempt at writing a, uh, a, a rock record that, you know, is a bit more moody. I think than than the one we heard, Previous to it, but I also feel like this. Uh, th- there's a fragility to a lot of these songs, and uh, there's a, a, a plaintiveness and, and a lot of uh, reflective and emotive songwriting. And I think when you when you start to view the record through that lens, you develop a greater appreciation for it. And uh, I don't know if I'm able to yet uh, attach or subscribe additional meaning. Or value to earlier songs in the catalog based on that mm. as of right now. I think when Pearl Jam makes their last record, I'll be ready to do that. <laughs> All <laughs> right, so we'll but. talk
0: to you in 15 years. Um, <laughs> Steph, I- I'm not gonna ask you to rank this album in the catalog, but from a growth perspective, how much has it grown for you compared to other albums? And I'll give you an example. Like you could say that 10 mm. is and always will be a masterpiece, or you could say, 10 was necessary at the time but has faded in its relevance over 32 years. I'm not saying either one of those things. This is an example of how you could you could sure. coach, uh you could look at those that, that, that records. Right. So,
2: um it's been it's one of the the static records for me, I think. Like the first 3, the first 4 entered where they are in my rankings and have never really left. But uh everything from yield through The self titled record, I had higher in like the first year or two of its release, and then it's gradually like, you know, settled back down into the middle. Um, Lightning Bolt came out, and I had it as my fourth favorite Pearl Jam album, like my favorite album after the initial three. It has dropped down to five only because Gigaton, I think, does everything I love about Lightning Bolt and just does it a little bit better. and it's you know you mentioned about uh, you know with with Paul does this make you reconceptualize or revisit any of the older songs? One of the things that you know listening to Lightning Bolt before the the show tonight, Gigaton has almost no songs about family, and I think that's the mm. uh, which I hadn't really thought about until until this you know maybe comes then goes if you want to use it you know fairly broadly but comes then goes is the song that's on gigaton because they wrote it and that's the album that they had to release i mean it's kind of the the odd you know the the odd man out in that that set otherwise like the other themes like the environmental imagery the the call to arms the grappling with you know the failures of your generation and the very macro yeah like that's there on both of them it's just that it's it's the minor story in in lightning bolt because like the more dominant through line is the more immediate concern about about family. And even though so much of Gigaton is about generational you know, obligations and and debts and what we owe the people who are going to come and that's obviously you know their family amongst others. I wonder if part of the challenging reception that Lightning Bolt has had is just that people are not interested in hearing about Eddie Vedder singing about how much he loves his family. Um or how and you can go back and then do all take that out and then all the rest of these themes and ideas carry into Gigaton and wildly more successful in terms of its overall reception.
0: This is a pearl jam themed podcast first and foremost, right? Um when i think of this band it's hard to honestly dislike very much at all but i will say when it comes to um legacy and records and songs the one thing to me that makes a record great is timelessness i think at the end of the day this is what we were asking ourselves about Lightning Bolt: Is this record timeless? And obviously, we, it's hard to know that now. Even though it's been ten years, we won't know that until the band's truly, you know, gone, and when we're, you know, seventy or eighty years old, and and all that. Um, I think looking back twenty-five years, twenty-eight years, whatever it is, to a to a record like No Code, and and, fi- and feeling a lot of the similar challenges. That I personally did when I heard lightning bolt the first time, maybe not understanding what Ed and the rest of the guys are trying to say, I think back to no code. And and for example, how about the song around the bend or something even, even less, uh, um, family oriented as song like who you are. I did not understand what the hell they were really talking mm-hmm. about. I knew the angst and I knew the feelings that they were emoting on the first records. I didn't necessarily understand what they were saying on the fourth record until way later. And even though, you know, we're all parents of kids under what 11, how old you old is 12 step
2: nine. Uh, I just turned 12,
0: 12. So 12 and under, we are kind of between the riot act and, uh, and lightning bolt years uh, of the guys. And so it makes me think that over the next decade, we might have a better idea of what he really meant on some of those songs um, that it might be mostly like par-baked, par-boiled, if I can use a, a culinary term uh, on those songs. If you, if you guys out there have not really found your footing with this record, um, it may be just par-boiled for you and your own uh, life experience um like around the bend was for us uh before we had kids so that, that's that's what i'll say um i like this conversation i i'm sure we could we could keep going but i, I want to kind of put a pin in that now because you know we'll have to come back and do the 15-year reunion at some point um let's uh let's kick it over to uh, our, our next segment which is which is back for the third week in a row oh my god it's uh the lyric of the week Alright, Lyric of the Week This is the last song from the record Lightning Bolt that we have yet to do And that is Sleeping by Myself I close my
3: eyes Wait for a sign. Am I just waiting in vain Or oh, I believe in love faith, and disaster and Sometimes the two are just the same I'm beginning to see left of me is gonna have to be free to survive oh, i'll be sleeping by myself
0: tonight. sleeping by myself all right step i'll let you go first to the guest of honor what do you make of uh, this part of sleeping by myself
2: um i love how i i love this song um i th- I think this is uh a, a miniature little triumph um you know like a lot of the the songs on this album it's not it's not trying to make a big statement um but it, it does even in its it's sort of like low-key uh ambitions um i love how it, like wounded and brave it is and how it Absorbs that hurt and names it and identifies it as human and recognizes that you know love is is risk with reward, and that even though you're alone right now, you won't be forever, you know, which is like that, that extra little moment that you had to infer in you know some of the older, you know, uh you're nothing man's or or what have you, like you know, when something else may have gone wrong to screw up a relationship. There was something that was perpetual about that pain whereas you know this feels cyclical it's almost even playful like you know like this is not dark depressing music um you know it's kind of just smiling you know at itself and like you know and here we go again you know kind of way which feels like again the kind of mature read on heartbreak you know that that you'd get you know north of 50 um you know, in your your second marriage, you know, having gone through this multiple times, you've
0: been married once, um, though, correct?
2: I, me, yes. <laughs> uh, so, so I, sure but I'm imagining nice. this. This is where it is. Yeah. <laughs> um. You know, I and I. You know, like uh, the lyric, "I'm I'm beginning to see what's left of me is going to have to be free to survive." And I think the "I'll be sleeping by myself tonight" is like a, a one line little. Uh, you know, pithy summation of yeah. you know what this is is you know like I you know my wife and I sleep in separate bedrooms. It's we all sleep better, we're all happier. Secret to a successful marriage, uh, at, at mm-hmm. least for me. But that's not that's not what this is about. Uh, you know, this is you know it's you know I go to bed still knowing that that she's there and that she's she's in my life. And when I wake up, you know, she will be there and in my life and you know god forbid she wasn't you know this is the song that reminds you like it's going to be okay eventually even if it's not right now
0: well i
1: i I, I think stip nailed it with that the ending there it's going to be okay eventually i think what's interesting about this song is that it's rife with pain and lamentation um but uh it, it all stems from this realization of deception. you know it's very different than a soulmate like nothing man where you have good love and you mess it up, you know and now you're left with nothing. This is someone who who had toxic love, you know, who was dealing with with um, betrayal in a relationship and and the consequence of, of extricating yourself out of that situation is loneliness, but embedded within that loneliness is a freedom. And uh when you can find that the liberation and the uh, rebirth that comes with that freedom, uh, there there's a a little bit of hope, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. So I feel like uh despite the deep pain that is so very pervasive in this in this song, um uh, there's also um through that loneliness the realization that it won't last forever, you know, and uh, whether you want to spend that time looking for some type of uh um, a signal, or um, you know, a light in the, at the end of, of a tunnel, or you know, the lighthouse, in, in, in the middle of a storm, or whatever analogy or metaphor you want to use. Uh, the reality is that in that moment, as dark as it is, you know, there was still the ability in the uh, the speaker to to see the freedom there, and and maybe it's the speaker trying to convince himself, you know, to to find the silver lining, so to speak, but. I do think that um, there, there is something wistful and charming about this song, despite the fact that it, it's, it's very tragic in, uh, in its themes and subject matter. And I think that it is because of that, you know, you, it, it, it's presented in this way, I think, for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's because there, there really is that, that, that freedom that you have to lean into in order to get yourself through an experience like betrayal and deception.
2: You use the phrase like wistful. This is a a great example of how how music completely transforms a lyric. Yes. Yeah. Uh because it is like such like almost like a jaunty little uh you know song with what would be very dark lyrics, but like the the music and all of this is is obviously intentional, even on Eddie's original version, which is a little more wistful than this. This is almost uh playful, you know, in places, you know, is meant to to cut the edge off that. Like, you know, when Black has the same, oh my God, my world has fallen apart, you know, moment, but like the music, you know, swells in a way that leans into that, that anguish and that heartbreak and like- And that lamentation, confront- right? Even that do
1: do 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 that's almost like a vocalized lamentation.
2: <laughs> it is. That's a great uh, way to phrase it. Like th- Black is the sound of the world fucking ending for that person. <laughs> and, you know, this is like, the, like yeah, it, it hurts, but like, you're going to be all- like, you know, kids, you're going to be all right.
0: I love that. That you. Know, I'll say this. I think that that's what Brendan O'Brien probably thought, and I know that there is for some in the community kind of a sharp divide between the two versions of this song. And so I'm curious what the listeners think about this version versus the original Ed only on the uke version, because like we're talking about, the tone is totally different. Um, and, you know, I think the Ed uke version has got it's more somber, it's more sad, it's more wanting, and this version um, is not. It, it's got a touch of hope, like you guys said. And I think considering overall the band's station life, or at least how it appears to be, it's very apropos. Um, so the theme here is is pretty simple, as you guys said. It, it, it's a classic songwriting trope, you know? I, I, I love the line, um, I believe in disaster. I'm sorry, I believe in love and disaster. Sometimes the two are just the same. It reminds me of that scene in love, actually, when Liam Neeson's uh character's son says that love is hell. It's the worst thing. It's it's hell. Well, it can feel like that, you know, it, it can be torturous even when you're in it. Um, but it's certainly hell when it's not reciprocated. And so for anyone who's been dumped or been rejected, you you know what, what it's like. And, and you question everything. You question every aspect of the relationship, you question every aspect of yourself. What could I have done differently? What's wrong with me? But I think ultimately why this version of the song is so hopeful and probably why Brenda O'Brien pushed the guys to flesh this song out from asuke version is because there is that turning point in this song. There is that moment where the speaker acknowledges that in order to carry on to survive, as Ed so hyperbolically puts it, they'll need to feel all the feels and relearn how to have confidence in oneself. And I think that's a strong message, right? Yeah. You gotta be grateful. It's love, but it's self love. And you can't love someone properly unless you love yourself. And so that like that, that turn you know, black is like, yeah, I know you're gonna have a great life with somebody else, but I'm just I'm I'm in it, man. I'm fucking done. As Stiff said, the world's fucking ending. And in the way that we heard it, uh in, in Austin, like I said, best version I've ever heard. It's you get you get that just smash in the mouth, like four-minute outro of just pain, like and you can feel it, it's dramatic. Ah, I'm crying. Like that's that's what that song's for. This song is for like fuck. You know what? It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be fine. It's it's that turn. It's like the bounce back. And it the bounce back is the little but beat that he's got going on. And I think it's when when I first heard that they were redoing the song for the album, I was like, God, why would you do that? You're taking up space for an actual new song. What the hell? Um, but like we do on this on this show, we deep dive into these songs and somehow we find a, maybe a different level, a new appreciation for a song that we didn't, you know, that we didn't care for as much before or whatever, but I don't know. I, I It's definitely I mean, grown.
2: You asked ask this question of, of your your listeners. I me ask it of the two of you. Which do you prefer, the Lightning Bolt version or the ukulele songs version?
1: You know, Stip, you, you mentioned how one seems a bit more playful, the other a bit more wistful. I think it depends on the mood. Um,
3: yeah,
0: good answer. Hop on that fence, baby. Yeah, that, that's. Uh, I'm inclined to lean towards the uh, the uke only version, just because I'm a sucker for wallowing on my own shit. But uh, <laughs> but I do enjoy a hopeful jaunt, and this one is certainly a hopeful jaunt. Let's um, let's go check out the best live version of this hopeful jaunt in our live cut of the week. I, too, can do a great segue, Paul, as we move to the live cut of the week. What is and where is and when is the live cut of the week for
1: this song? Uh, I think we have to go to the City of Angels, uh, a a place where authentic love might be in short supply. But also uh, a place, uh, specifically a time, November 24th, 2013, which was uh, on the precipice of Thanksgiving, a time where uh, I'm sure gratitude and reflection was, was very much at the forefront.
3: I should have known there was someone else Oh, I always kept it to myself Now believing believe in nothing Not today as I move myself Out of your side Oh, I'll be sleeping By myself tonight Oh, I could never go with.
0: So this song um, was only played or has only been played to this point. It's so this recording 23 times. Last time was in St. Louis in 2022. I will say that this version, I, I, this is the, the third um, cut, third live cut from this performance, the show that we've chosen. And some of you might be saying, well, that's because you guys were there. You and Paul were there. So I thought you're all biased. Well, You know, maybe, maybe that's subconsciously in there, but I will say it's a very tight performance, but at the same time, it's a very casual performance, almost like they've been playing this thing for years. And that's what I love. The fact that it feels very worn, like a, like a comfortable pair of sweatpants, just comfy and cozy and just, you know, not trying to impress anybody, but just solid. You know what I'm saying? Great contribution, guys. (laughs) lovely backing vocals as well i must say from from uh yeah i
1: I always thought that the backing vocals were were strong and um like you said it was just a a a tight rendition of of a a very what i always thought was a wistful charming little composition and so i mean what like what what, what's the bar here you know what i mean like in terms of like what what's the best possible version? how much better could it be so for me it was it was the location the irony of the location in terms of sleeping oh, yeah. by myself like <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. I thought L A was perfect for this and then uh, also the fact that uh, you know we were like I said very close to Thanksgiving and and there was just the the the, the, the motif of of gratitude
2: so. with the caveat that almost all of Lightning Bolt has disappeared from you know their their rotation except for you know the title track and Minder Remanders and, and Pendulum every now and then it feels like this Sirens like Yellow Moon a couple of them. Could make a reappearance in the sort of like the the sitting down slow burn. Oh yeah, hundred percent Oh, okay. you'd have to. I mean, this is you know I don't know that you'd follow, sleeping by myself, with something dark, but you could segue into or out of like small town with, you know, with this song. Like you know, Mike gets to to go off. He's got like the big solo that they've been, you know, uh, they've been sticking in these. Like uh, th- I hope this comes back. Me too.
0: What do you guys think at home? Do you want to hear more sleeping by myself? If so, dial one on your touchstone keypad. No, I'm sorry, that's a movie phone. Um, <laughs> we thank you for uh sitting around and, and listening to us yammer for damn near 90 minutes about Lightning Bolt and and other things, of course. But uh what do you guys think about Lightning Bolt? It's been 10 years. How is it uh what ha- has its roots gotten into you? Have you do you appreciate it more? Do you appreciate it the same? Do you appreciate it less for some reason? How has Gigaton affected? You know, Chip mentioned the uh, most recent album uh, recency bias kind of thing. So curious to what you guys think about this. Uh, into the comments section, you go, and we will reco- uh, we will reply in kind. If I could speak English correctly, um, that's the show, guys. We appreciate you guys for being here as always. Um, if you really want to help the show, the easiest way to do that is rate,
1: review, subscribe, feed that algorithm so it doesn't grow. Furry and fangy, like a werewolf on All Hallows Eve, trying
0: to eat us instead. Every, Step every week there's a new, ridiculous, stupid fucking story. He is, that's why he's the that. best of the business.
1: <laughs> hey, business. Well, I'm at it. Uh, have yourself some uh, Elysian uh, dark. Uh, uh, Dark of the Moon Pumpkin Stout. Look, this is, I got to get a werewolf.
0: Dark of there. the oh, Moon. Good song. And
1: you know what? This is is brewed, I believe, in Seattle too. So even more appropriate.
0: Lovely. How about that? Uh, if you are so inclined, you can also uh, join our Patreon. It's uh, the link is everywhere. Stip is one of those patrons. He's a good lad. And uh, there's extra content over there. You help us pick things like t-shirts and stickers and web art designs and all that good stuff. And. Um, bonus content when we interview people that doesn't make the actual show. So if you want to go ahead and do that, um, five bucks a month—that uh, would be super. If not, no big deal. You're here right now, and you're going to tell your friends, and that's way more than anything we could ask for. So,
1: I mean, I might go on a rant on Pearl Gems Halloween T-shirt, and that itself is worth the price of uh, of our page <laughs>
0: <laughs> Or we might just save it for the episode that comes out on—is that on Halloween? Is Halloween a Tuesday? Uh, I think it might be. It is a Tuesday. (laughs) The whole episode will be about bugs. Anyways, um, that is it. Uh, Thank you, Step, for joining us yet again.
2: Thank you, as always, for having me. It's a blast.
0: And uh, we will see you all next week. Oh, it's another anniversary, Paul. Is it 30 years since a certain uh, Five Against One record came out? Oh, boy.
1: Let's stick a sheep's face in some wire fencing.
0: All righty, then. That's a statement. Uh, We'll see you next week for a little chat about verses. And until we do, you'll be listening to The State of Love and Trust.